what is up everybody we are back with almost the entire balls atb crew tonight we have dr ball back and brando and myself but we're also joined by two more guests um we have alex which you can find him on twitter at alex jones 1520 and then we also have drew you can find him on twitter at i am drew man um no bandit tonight but we're gonna continue rolling with it so before you get started um alex i'll let you introduce yourself and then drew you can follow up cool so like she said my name is Alex Jones, uh, born and raised in the John City, Elizabeth area. So about as uh, northeast Tennessee as North Carolina will let you be. Um, grew up here, been here for, I guess, the whole time, 23 some years like that. And uh, went to school at Milligan College, now Milligan University. Played basketball there for a few years. And then I'm now at the University of Miami in PT school. So that's kind of where I've been for the last little bit in between here and, well, I guess, Northeast Tennessee and South Florida. So it's a little bit about me. Um, Drew, you can take it away. Yeah. Uh, my name is Drew. Uh, was born in Knoxville, lifelong Vols fan, unfortunately. Grew up in Atlanta, <laughs> but lived the last five and a half, six years in the Czech Republic in Europe before moving back here uh, in Knoxville uh, for work. Uh, also, you probably may have heard my voice from uh, from the drive from last year as well. Uh, still writing content as well for Fox Sports Knoxville. Very cool. We were super excited to have both of you guys on. Um, I'm sure it's going to get interesting tonight because our first topic is unfortunately the terrible blowout loss to LSU at LSU. Um, balls lost 67-79 this past Saturday. So I guess we will start out with DR and just go around and see what everyone's first thoughts are. <clears throat> My first thoughts, of course, <clears throat> you know, Will Wade, known cheater, FBI's up his ass. But my first thoughts, man, they were just a way better team than us. Um, and it didn't help that we, we couldn't throw it in the ocean, man. <clears throat> one thing that blew my mind from that game is Folky had one shot. It's your sixth year, and you shoot it one damn time. I get – I don't even know if he had 20 minutes that game, but shit, man, you shot it one time. Like, you're the the folk hero, and I love Folky. I'm not coming down on him. It's just that blows my mind. He had one shot, and it really disappoints me that game. I like how we climbed back uh, into it, but I, I'm very anti-participation uh, trophies and <clears throat> all of that, so – it doesn't matter. We could have won by or lost by two or 20. It's the same. A loss is a loss. And LSU, give it to them, man. They had a great atmosphere. But, I mean, damn, man. Hit free throws. And Folky is who we're going to ride on all year, or who we should anyway, or who we thought preseason. And one shot, man. That's so disappointing. One damn shot. And I'll move on. Pretty much, DR pretty much hit it where I was going to say i personally haven't been able to catch the last two games because i've been working but when i looked at the stat box and saw that folky had attempted only one shot that kind of blew me away like dr he's uh, a six-year senior he's you know supposed to be the leader of this team you know put this team on his back if this team's going to be able to run it's going to be through john fulkerson just right now as the uh freshman kennedy chandler gets used to the speed of college basketball uh kennedy chandler he did have 19 points to kind of quiet breakout game you know like finally stepping up in sec play that lsu defense was 
legit, probably the best defense we've seen all season. But like DR said, we couldn't hit a single free throw. Bulky not stepping up, you know, it's just disappointing. So, yeah, kind of talking about Will Wade a little bit. Like you said, DR, definitely a, a known cheater. Don't know why he still has a job. Don't know why people aren't – more people aren't calling for his head. But um, the Vols, yeah, they shot 39% from the field, 25% from three. But they only took – only took 24. I think in that Texas Tech game, they took uh, close to 40, I think. It was like six of 40. So I'm pretty sure Rick's been telling them, like, hey, boys, like we don't need to – we don't need to pull as many of those because we ain't hitting them. Um, but they actually – what kind of surprised me looking back at the stats, they shot 37 free throws, hit 23, 62%, which obviously is not great. But, I mean, they took 37. That's a lot of free throws on the road, especially at LSU. Um, Will Wade, he loves that Havoc defense. He loves pressuring. He, uh, he had his boys probably a step or two above the three-point line, guarding us out that far. And we just – we looked timid for a little bit. We looked like we didn't want to attack them at all. If the defense is attacking you, you got to attack back. But we played a little bit passive, stepped out of the way. Um, they shot 47% from the field, LSU did, and shot 44 from three, eight for 18. And for whatever reasons, uh, Barnes' defenses aren't good at guarding the three. I don't know why, but they just aren't. But um, really the thing that struck me was that LSU had a big run in the second half. They went on a 22 to 10 run to blow it up by 19. But the Vols came back with their own run, 21 to 7. And it was a two possession game for a little bit with like about two minutes left. And then Kennedy Chandler had a turnover. They get a dunk, sealed the game at 73 to 66. And then obviously free throws and stuff. But I mean, we were down 20, took it to five, had a chance, and just snuffed it at the end so yeah i was kind of touched the point that i was going to make was just i think the biggest takeaway for me from that game was just the god awful free throw shooting that we have i mean the problem i mean the problem with this team is like it's not the fact that like, you know that we can't get open looks or anything like that i mean we're drawing fouls i mean we're on the, i mean literally at the line 37 times but i mean when you're only making 62 percent of them there's not a lot of games out there where you're going to stay competitive or even have a chance. And so and I really think like, even if we just shot 70%, which I think should be at least reasonable, we would have, you know, stayed in that game, if not possibly would have most likely won it. I, um, I wanted to touch on just one thing. I know you talked about Folky earlier, but, and was it – I'm getting, like, caught up. I can't remember. Someone helped me when Barnes, like, had that interview. Was it after LSU or after South Carolina when he called Folky out? Uh, it was after LSU. Uh, LSU. Yeah. Okay. So, I pulled up some stuff on that. So, most surprising player for me in that game was Euros because in 16 minutes, he shockingly scored 12 points. Fulkerson, who has played the longest – in in college basketball right now at three points in 17 minutes of play. So I felt like what Rick Barnes said was 100% reasonable. Um, I saw all over Twitter, people are like, well, don't blame it on Folky, but we got to have a leader. And if you've been there that long, I mean, some, I mean, you have got to show out and other people were like, oh, well, COVID and this and COVID and that, I'm sorry, but if you're too weak, to give it a hundred percent, you probably should sit out that game in my opinion. 
Um, I don't know what y'all, if anyone has anything to say about that, but that's kind of where my head was at. Uh, I'm with you on that low because <clears throat> that quote was taken out of context. Like I listened to uh, what was Drew Russ and uh, Bear, and they were talking about that how it was taken out of context. And he, Barnes said we need uh, Folky, and he's he's right. I, I I don't I don't really get it. Euros did what I think we need. A lot of people need to be done. We we can't throw an ocean like I said earlier. And um, Euros is just trying to get to the basket, get the easy shot, and. I'm not a huge fan of watching Euros, but he's doing what needs to be done. Honestly, I wish more people would do it because we're just we're on a cold streak, man. I mean, global warming's going on, but not with our freaking offense right now because we're oh. cold as hell. Right? Well, cold as hell. We're as cold as ice, I guess. It's a better play, but I, I did like the way Euros played, and he knew he can't shoot it from outside, so he drove the lane for as good as he could do. Yeah, pretty much, I agree there. You know. Coming into this season, you kind of expected John Fulkerson and Triple J to, you know, step up and be those leaders because after how it ended last year, you know, they they took full role into saying they were going to be the leaders of this team. Yeah, Folky having a bad game. Josiah wasn't too hot. Uh, he did step it up in the South Carolina game this past yesterday. But, you know, when you expect those guys to do good for being fourth year, fifth year, sixth year players, and you have Euros, you know, who looks like a stick, just a giant stick going up there and, putting his body on the line for the team when you least expect it. It's just, it's not good. So I think another thing too, is that um, early on, I, I can't remember if they did it late, but early on LSU was doubling in the post. So as soon as we get a post entry, they double down and they crash. And I know that caused um, Olivier to have at least one or two early turnovers because he would try to either spin and rip through middle or do something else where just somebody came and doubled. But so when John gets doubled, he has to kick out to an open shooter for three. But I mean, if you're if you're LSU and you're looking at us, we're not hitting from three. We have Fulkerson, who's been in the paint for six years. If you double down and you're daring us to shoot threes, you're daring us to shoot threes for a reason. And that's because we're not hitting them. So, I mean, it, it makes sense if you're if you're going to take away our post player, then we have to kick out to guards. But like we like we said before, is that we've just struggled shooting the ball. So you're not, I mean, you're not even worried about it at that point. So why not double? So, I mean, that, that probably is part of the reason why Fulky wasn't as uh, effective as he normally is, but still good players find a way. I think the most frustrating thing for me is like the fact that, you know, a couple of years ago when Fulky was just like at his prime with us, like he was always consistent within those like eight to 10 foot jumpers within inside the paint. And now it just mm -hmm. seems like they, that part of his game is just non-existent now. And, you know, he's not really a big guy. He can't really out, you know, muscle, you know, defender and anything like that. And so with the only thing of like that he can actually do, which is those mid-range jumpers, with that taken away, it's just it leaves us completely just we have no inside game whatsoever. And, you know, I love Yurosh. I mean, the guy is just an absolute madman. and He will get at least three hard-ass fouls over there. But, you know, he's he's awful. I mean, he's just not a good basketball player. And so I love the effort, everything. But, uh, I mean – that's one thing Rick Barnes is going to have to find a way is develop Huntley Hatfield quick or just get another big man because uh, we're, we're in deep trouble in that regard. Yeah, it's tough to play inside out if we literally can't hit those shots, right? So I don't know what the answer is. I will say one thing that I was super envious about was that Ethan for LSU, he came off the bench. He wasn't a starter, but he put in a lot of minutes and gave them 24 points against us. 
I wish that we had someone who would come off the bench and give us 24 points or even, you know, 14. Um, to have a player like that as like your sixth or seventh guy, that would be freaking awesome. Um, I really don't know what else to say about it. I was, I did not have a good feeling about that game going into it. Just playing at LSU is hard. I also thought that they were just underranked just in general. I thought they were pretty talented. Um, does anyone else have anything to add about this game? Not necessarily the game, but Drew made mention of uh, Folky in the past. Do y'all think maybe that um, there's enough film out there in Folky? Because it seems like his best year was when you didn't expect him. And now we depend on him more, and maybe he's got better defenders against him or something. I don't know. But he's just, I haven't seen, besides the Arizona game, and last year is a blur, but I don't remember much about that. But he just, it's not the same Folky, the SEC player of the year. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty much right. You know, as the years go on as a six year senior, I mean, let's be honest, John Fulkerson, he's not the top tierest big man in the world. You know, it, it's taken some time for him to get to where he is as a player. And yeah, I think you hit it on the nail. Over time, these SEC teams are knowing that our, you know, inside game is all going to be through Fulkerson because we don't have another big man on our roster that's going to be able to get down there and create some contact and get some shots. I mean, there's guys when I see Euros down there, undersized, you know, just getting dominated. So when Folky's not having it, we're just it's not it's non-existent at all. I think you pretty much are just right. People are getting used to it. He's not the biggest big man. He's you know, he's tiny. He's always doing the hook shots. You never see Folky really go like down and try to dominate right up on the glass. Like you, you never see it. So yeah, and you know that that's always been uh, like the strength condition. They talk about Grant and Admiral how much they change, but man, Folky, he's just not at all. No, nah, he looks like my basketball guy out here. He, <laughs> not not because he's skinny, but he just hadn't changed the last six years. I was gonna say real quick since you said that, you know, I was gonna mention this later, but I got, I'll go ahead and mention it now because it makes sense. Sometimes people just can't lead or lead in the way you know. Not everyone is a leader. Um, not everyone has the personality to be a leader. Not everyone wants to be. Um, sometimes if you give people too much, then they, or they, you, you expect too much from them. They get stressed out and they under deliver. Um, I don't know if that's the thing with him. None of this is like a folky hate at all, but I'm just oh, saying, huh. I mean, he's been there so long and sometimes you really, you can't, not everyone can lead. So I'm not saying he can't, but just in general, something to kind of think about. Just, yeah, I mean, piggybacking off of that, if if any of y'all follow the NBA, there's there's always an obsession with drafting younger players. So you always want to draft either the freshmen or the kids out of high school now if they go to G League or pros overseas or something like that. You always want to draft younger because that player has so much potential to become whatever it may be. But like y'all have said, six years down the line, we know we know what Folky is. He's a back-to-the-basket player who needs the ball on the low block and doesn't really expand his range much. And I think that's what hurts him is because there, there was a time early this season where he caught it. He caught the ball free throw line extended and his defenders already back in the restricted area because he knows he's not going to shoot from there. And it's like, if you're not going to shoot a jumper free throw line extended, all your defenders going to do is pack the paint. Well, if we've got Santee and we've got Josiah and we've got Kennedy 
who want to attack the basket and Zakai who want to attack the basket, who want to get in the lane, who want to drive and kick. You can't do that if there's an extra defender sitting there. So that's that to me is the biggest problem of uh, when folks on the floor is that he just can't expand his range. But again, like y'all said, there's there's no hate. Absolutely. That man's given six years of his life <laughs> to our university. He's seen the lows when he started and he's seen some super highs in the last two, three years. But I mean, I guess like for me personally, I would just love to see him have just a little bit of a jumper, a little bit of an elbow line extended jumper because that'll open up so many driving lanes. Lo, you had made mention about the leadership. I think it was before last year's team. Do you remember Barnes' comments? They talked about that. Like last year's team didn't have a leader. Yep. It's almost like it's flowed into this year, honestly. And, and yeah. again, I, this is the only time I'm going to say, it. I'm not crapping on Folky. I, that guy has given me some great memories. But it seems like Folky or Triple J would step up and be a leader. But I mean, Low hit on it. Some people just, they're not, they're not leaders. And honestly, I think that's the problem with this year's team like last year is we don't have a leader out there. Yeah, I fully – I agree with that. I don't see anyone that's – and, I mean, again, this is all just from what I watch. I have no idea. I'm not practicing with him. But I really – I don't <clears throat> see anyone that's really stepped up and led. Like, I, we always compare to Grant Williams and Schofield. I mean, they were dominant from the moment they stepped on the court. You, they were over there in each other's face. Hey, this is what me you messed up here. This is, yeah. and they were doing it in a positive way. And I don't see anything like that. And I didn't see it last year. And um, I think that may be part of the problem. But I mean, you've got to find the right guy to lead. So mm -hmm. I don't know. <sighs> that was kind of rough. Um, bad memory. <laughs> Terrible. Um, does anyone have anything else before we go on to last night's game? No, I'm good. Okay. So last night we played South Carolina. It, I thought it was a slow start. We only scored 30 in the first half. Um, I know free throws are going to be talked about. We shot 44% from the free throw line, but we still won. So let's just hear everyone's first thoughts about that. Well, this kind of flows with what Lowe you just said. You're talking about people coming off the bench. I think it was you, but, you know, we thought Powell was going to be that guy. He didn't shoot the ball uh, against South Carolina. And this is an interesting stat uh, from Trey Wallace. He's only had eight shots in the last 67 minutes. And, you know, that's not what we thought we were getting with him. I know a lot of preseason hype. I've, I've heard several on um, Fox Sports Knoxville talking about um, – I honestly thought some of them, he was our best player. And, man, he just looks – he doesn't even look like the same player out there. Um, I mean, I'm glad – we covered the spread and all that, so I'm happy with that. I just don't think South Carolina is very good. And I kind of think, like, how Will Wade has Barnes' number. I think Barnes has um, South Carolina coach's number, honestly, Frank Martin. Um, <clears throat> but it started out slow. I was – I'm not going to lie. I'm, I lean more towards the negative. I thought it was going to get bad, and I thought, oh, are you kidding me? We're going to lose this game. Because South Carolina, Vandy, Missouri, and Georgia, I expect to beat the hell out of them when we play them. And uh, so I got a little worried, but, you know, maybe that'll get us off going. I will say this. Uh, we have not scored 70 in league play yet, and I think we're going to have to do that Saturday. So that that worries me. That worries me. 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I also missed this game too, but I did go back and look at the stats. Yeah, that um, the the free throws is just awful. I think Dr. said earlier we couldn't hit anything in the ocean, like just going backwards, put blindfolded straight. I don't know what it is with the free throws or what they have to do. I know they just say keep on shooting, it'll fall, but it was just awful. What I did like though was uh, you did have Vescovi having 14 points. Triple J, he stepped up, had a nice quiet double double in the game. Uh, hit that one three I saw in the highlights, like over the defender, just straight yammed him. So, you know, maybe it's good that Triple J had a good game, like an awakening game. I think it's probably his first this season that he's kind of stepped up and been that presence on the court. And as we were talking about it earlier, that's what we need right now is those guys finally clicking. So if we can get Triple J and Folky, you know, both back in sync, I think that could be a big part for this team going forward because they need a leadership. Definitely. And I, I agree with everything that's already been said. The interesting thing is every shooting percentage we had was higher than South Carolina. So we shot 44 from the field. They shot 35. We shot 33 from three. They shot 32. And we shot 44% from free throw, but they shot 35. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's wild. But, I mean, in in this game, it got it done. And I know we've, we've kind of, like, said our, our remarks about Tennessee – but let me give a positive. Our defense is phenomenal. Like, it, it absolutely is. We we contest well. People hit jumpers. For whatever reason, people always hit jumpers on us. But we're – I mean, we're there. We contest. We we play hard. That's the reason – I mean, we were down 19 in that LSU game, but we weren't we weren't done. And we, like I said, we brought it to a five-point game. But, I mean, South Carolina ended up with 23 turnovers – and we had 11 steals and four blocks. Uh, that's, I mean, that's exceptional. And the the three at the end of the half, I think, was huge because that game was 27 to 24, and it looked like just a back and forth affair. JJJ hits that three, and then it blows up into um, and what like an 18 to five run, and then goes up. Uh, what is that? 45 to 29, and that I mean that basically still the game coming out of the half right there. But like you said, DR, I, th I thought it was interesting that uh, JP didn't get any shot attempts. If I was him, I mean, he's shooting 39% on from three on the season. If that's him, I'm running him off staggers. I'm running him off pin downs. I'm doing whatever I can to get him open because he's he's the one who has proven he can shoot the ball consistently from deep. So if, if anything, if he's in, I'm running plays for 24, getting him looks. If anything, it'll draw attention. But I mean, like you said, it was a it was a good game. The first half was back and forth. Second half, we took over, controlled it, and an easy win for the Vols. Yeah, I mean, I agree just about everything. Uh, mostly, everyone said here. Like, I mean, wasn't the best performance by any stretch of the imagination. But we covered the spread one by twenty. Um, I mean, my biggest concern is shooting eleven for twenty five on the line. I mean, it's just it, it's getting ridiculous. Like, I mean. I mean, we're, I mean, we can't even make half our free throws. And I think the one other big concern I have is that, you know, Sakai, you know, did have 11 points and that was great. But, like, I'm honestly starting to believe now that I think Sakai might be a better point guard for this team than Candy Chandler. I mean, you know, Chandler only scored eight points. And it's really concerning for me because this South Carolina team is not very good. I mean, um, they, they lost by 25 points to Coastal Carolina this year. So, like, they're awful in that sense. And, like, if, if Candy Chandler can only drop eight – 
uh, against a defense like this, this has me really concerned uh, going into Saturday against Kentucky. But overall, though, I mean, like uh, Brando said, you know, nice little double-double from Triple J. Uh, Folky got 10 points as well. It really looks like that any time that these guys get double digits in scoring, that, like, you know, we more, I think, 95% of the time actually wind up winning the game. So we really rely on those two on showing up or at least having some sort of production. But, yeah, I'm, like, very concerned about Kennedy Chandler going forward, at least mm-hmm. offensively. Yeah, you guys killed that. Um, Alex, I I was going to touch on defense a little bit, but I like that we held them to under 50 points. But like Drew said, I mean, they just really aren't a good basketball team. So I don't understand why we couldn't have just totally demolished them. One reason, I'm, I don't know why we can't really hit our shots, but I have a theory and I wonder – like, is it because that our defense is so good and they play so aggressively that by the time they get back, they just can't hit their shots? I don't know if that's even, like, an, a, reason, a reasonable thought, but I'm just, like, sometimes they play so hard on defense, they get back, they rush it, and they just seem like they take the wrong shot. Um, another thing I wanted us to talk about was the lineups that we are putting out. Um, sometimes I just don't feel like they are the greatest together. Um, I don't, I would kind of adjust some things, but again, I'm not the head coach, but I just kind of wanted to pick everyone's brains and see if you guys think he's putting the right lineups out there at the right times, or if he can mix it up. What are y'all's thoughts on that? Honestly, you know, that's the thing with Barnes is his, uh, rotations and lineups is, it seems like we'd have it, um, I wouldn't say perfected. I don't know, figured out by now. But honestly, if nobody's hitting a damn shot, it's probably hard to figure out a lineup. Like when you're going through a matchup again, when you have weaker teams like South Carolina, because I mean, Drew's right, South Carolina sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But like Kentucky and, or, or okay, let's not say Kentucky, LSU. Going to that game, you knew their defense was going to be good, our defense going to be good. But they had, obviously, they won, but better offense. But in Barnes' head, it's thinking like, well, I don't know, Victor Bailey, he, he may do good in practice, but I mean, he, he couldn't find the basket if, if it was sitting in front of him, it don't seem, this year. And I don't get it because he came in as a really good three-point shooter. I, I don't know. I, I wish we'd figured out. I wish we had figured out before we go into Rupp Saturday. I, I don't know. Not to be repetitive, I, I really don't know what's going on with this team. I don't know if they're not taking the Barnes' co- Barnes's coaching this year or – you know, you said talk, talking about defense playing too hard. I don't know if they stepped on a crack, broke their mama's back. I don't know. But, I mean, they, they, they're not even fun to watch, man. Like, I don't even want to get on that tangent. But, damn, we don't have anything figured out. Don't seem – we look like uh, we should be like if it was NFL, if it was preseason the first game. Like, we're still trying to figure things out. And that scares the hell out of me. Oh, yeah, pretty much everything you just said, D.R., I agree with. <clears throat> Credit to Victor Bailey for, I think, hitting one of his first threes of the season, though, in that South Carolina game late. I was actually proud to see that in the highlights. But uh, I think defense might have a thing to play with. It. Obviously, when you're looking at a Rick Barnes basketball team, defense is one of the first things that comes to mind when his philosophy of having a team. But I think it's also just a mixture of just guys not hitting shots. The guys that you brought in, you know, expecting to hit those shots, Victor Bailey, Justin Powell, uh, they're just not falling. And, you know, like going into a game like Kentucky, that's scary because 
Kentucky is going to be just another game like LSU. It's not going to be South Carolina where you can have a slow start or where we played Ole Miss and not score for like five or ten minutes. Like you're going to have to go into these games and start off early. Like Kentucky, they're getting better and better each game. So it's just something that worries me. Uh, lineup wise, you know, I think we could use more size to start off with because we're getting really like out lengthened. You have like Zakai Ziegler, Kennedy Chandler out there against other point guards that are like six five, six six, and I think to get our offense moving and how they you know, have to get it passing around, they don't have that opportunity. So I don't know if that has to do with the slow starts or the defense, but just something they can you know maybe try to find and work on, find a main guy to put this offense through. Absolutely, and uh, Lo, I think you I think you raise a good point by saying the the focus on defense affects us on the offensive end. And the reason I think that is because if you look at the free throw numbers from LSU and South Carolina on the season, they're averaging 73% from the field and they shot, sorry, not from the field, from free throw. And they shot 63% against us. South Carolina shot 60 or shoots 67%, 65, sorry, from free throw. And they shot 35 against us. So I believe when we when we pay so much attention and so much effort on defense, I do think it affects us offensively the same way that it affects other teams offensively. Like it takes a little bit of our percents down, uh, our rhythm, our our flow of offense. I think that does affect it. Um, but Rick Barnes, he's never he's never ran typically through one player his offenses. He always runs his like egalitarian approach where he wants to share the ball, he wants to have constant motion, and he wants to have everybody touch it and then get the best look from that. And that works when you have teams with multiple options, such as, to go back to it, Jordan Bone, Jordan Bowden, Grant, Admiral. Heck, Kyle Alexander as a fifth option really is not bad. He can hit a little jump hook. He can hit a little 15-footer. Like that. that is what you need on those types of teams. On this team, so let's go back to the LSU game. When when LSU is doubling John Fulkerson and you're taking that part out and Josiah is not hitting threes, there's two people out of that offense by committee that you're taking out, and that puts a lot of pressure on Kennedy, on Santee, on whoever that fifth option is, Olivier sometimes. But like you said, um, Euro stepped up. But for Rick Barnes's offenses to work and to work effectively – you have to have everybody on that floor as a threat, ready to score at any point in time the ball gets to them. If one piece is down, it puts a lot of pressure on the other four. And I think that's why we go into the scoring droughts. I don't know for sure, but that's just my take. Um, but another thing is the rotations. It's hard to play Zakai and Kennedy and Santee all at the same time because that takes your backcourt high to an average of like maybe six foot. And we'll get bullied and out-rebounded. But, I mean, if you want offensive firepower and you want shooting, I guess that's what you do. But to me, I just – I think you need more minutes for Justin Powell going forward and to incorporate him more into the – one, the rotation, but to the offense and just try to find him a jumper and get it going. I think one of the things for us is, like, we're really handcuffed in the sense of, like, that we just have zero depth on the four and five position with Yurosh and Kamwa and Folky and even Triple J. For me, like, I find it kind of surprising that, like, you know, that Rick Barnes never tried to go, like, what Bruce Pearl did 
all those years ago when we didn't really have that much depth in the five position by playing four guards and then a big man. And, like, with this team, I mean, this team is so good defensively. I mean, Kennedy Chandler and Zakai, even as small as they are, they could defend, I mean, mostly up top, mostly just about anyone. And I read, like, I heard a fascinating stat a couple weeks ago of the Alabama game where um, after five after five seconds on the shot clock alone, Tennessee's chances of scoring goes down by 75%. And I just feel like, you know, just having with Zakai and Kennedy and Santi at three and then maybe potentially having – I mean, hell, just go for it. Just have Justin Powell there at four because Triple J is completely useless for the first 15 minutes of the game anyway. That just go for it at that front. I mean, we're not, we can't, we have nothing to lose at this point because this lineup of Santi and Triple J and Folky and Kamwa, it's just, it's not working. It's just, they got to do something about it in that sense. Drew, I absolutely love that idea because. I went to the Arizona game where we upset them. And ever since then, we have been so lackluster with energy and just totally all over the board. I really, I just don't, it doesn't even look like the same team. I don't understand how we can be so sporadic and up and down. I would have figured we, like DR said earlier, like we should 100% have this figured out by now. We should have like our go-to guys. We should be able to hit freaking foul shots like I could in middle school ball. Um, I really do not understand what has happened, but I, I hope they turned around. I'm not trying to be super negative. It just, it's so hard to watch sometimes um, when you see all this potential and then they get together and then it just doesn't produce the best result. But with all that kind of negative rant being said, we still won last night, so a win is a win, even if it was ugly. I always say that. Um, does anyone have anything else on South Carolina? Drew, what, what was that stat again? If we don't score, it's within the first, what, five seconds? What did you say? Jimmy Dyke said on that Alabama game like a couple weeks ago that like if we don't score within five seconds of like from the thirty like thirty shot clock that like our chances of scoring go down by eighty percent and like I started thinking That's about awful. it the other I started thinking about it the other day and like and I was at that Arizona game too and the, one of the things that we got was that we would get those steals and then we would go on a three one you know fast break and would always wind up getting a bucket well when we try to play these like you know try to have guys set up and try to run plays. I mean, we're always running the clock to like three or four seconds left. And then, you know, either Triple J or, you know, or Zakai is shooting an absolute brick on that yeah. backboard. So uh, that seems to me like that's on Barnes, don't it, to y'all? I mean, like he's not yeah. – he doesn't know what play to call or or maybe that's a Chandler thing. A point guard's your quarterback of the offense. I mean, that that's really concerning. I want to play devil's advocate real quick because a lot of people blame that on Barnes. But one thing that I personally feel like may happen, which I could be wrong, but I'm devil's advocate. So what it seems to me is like with Barnes teams, especially when we don't have a true leader, it seems like they don't ever control the pace of the game. They just allow the other team to set it and then they follow. And when they do that, it seems like a complete basket case. No one is in control. We do a fast break down the court, take a, the worst shot possible, or we just run the clock all the way down to the last second and or for, have a turnover. No one really forms play to begin with, in like just from what I feel like. 
Yeah, you're right. That's probably why Auburn's our daddy. You know, they kind of play just at will, and uh, well, we can't keep it within 20 with them. That's a really good point. That that stat blows my mind, Drew. Though that that's insane. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that step blows my mind. And going back to how uh, what Lois said, you know, we're far in the season where we don't have a guy that we can just run our offense through. And I think back to the Rick Barnes quote last year when he blamed uh, Jaden Springer and Keon not getting started early enough because of COVID. But here we are in a, a regular year of what seems to be regular, and we still don't have a guy that's running through this offense or being the lead guy or getting our younger guys locked in. And how Drew said, you know, I, I trust Zakai to go out there and put the ball in the basket more than I do Kennedy right now. He's going down, you know, maybe five inches shorter, but he's going and blown by these D1 defenders. And, you know, it's just, it's wild to me. I'll even, I'll, I'll defend us a little bit more and say that I, I believe you don't really know who your team is until you get in the thick of conference play because you can schedule cupcakes all day in non-conference and not know anything about yourself, but you feel good because you're beating people by 30 and 40. But I, I think you find yourself in conference play. But also, I do think that some of it's coaching and his egalitarian system approach, I'm not a fan of, but it's what he's done. And he's had historical success because he's obviously got a super high winning percentage and he wins regular season stuff. Granted, postseason stuff is different, but I think that some things happen organically, as in you find that player at the end of the shot clock who you're like, okay, let's get him the ball. He's going to get us a bucket, or let's get him the ball. He'll at least make a play. And right now, you're right. Like everybody's right. We don't have that. And we're still, we're still looking for that option. And hopefully, in the middle of conference play somewhere, it becomes somebody. I don't care who it is. <laughs> I just want to be able with seven seconds on the shot clock, I want to be able to throw it to somebody and be like, okay, I know he's going to score right here, but we don't, we don't have that. And I think that is our biggest issue because late in the LSU game, actually on the possession that kind of sealed it for us is Kennedy gets it at the top of the key with six, five seconds left. And there's three of our players on the perimeter and one sitting on the post and they're just watching and they're just looking and hoping he does something. And what does he do? He gets blocked because they're packing the paint and he tried to drive. But, I mean, is, is that his fault for trying to make a play, but the team isn't, like, moving around trying to, like, set him up too? I don't know. But, like y'all have said, I hope we find that number one clear-cut option to be like, hey, look, we need a bucket. You're the one that's going to get it for us. You get it. Let's go back on defense. Uh, I was just going to say and jump in, but I think the, that guy, it has to be Kennedy Chandler. I'm, I hope it has to be Kennedy right. Chandler because when, you know, his recruitment coming in, all the highlight reels you saw, the game winners that Kennedy Chandler hit, uh, big shots, big play moments. He was known coming in to be a clutch player, one of the top point guards in the nation. And at this level right now, as you said, he's driving in, getting packed, you know, getting outscored by the point guard that was brought in to make him better. You know, the whole reason we went and took Zakai was – have more competition around Kennedy Chandler and I I think that guy has to be Kennedy that steps up for this team because even as a freshman he's you know a quote-unquote lottery pick and he has to play like it for this team to be successful going into conference play 
I think it's like what Lowe said earlier, though, like going back all to this, that like there's just lack, there's no lack of leadership on this team. And, you know, like one of the things for me is like one, my probably favorite Tennessee sports team of all time, that Elite Eight team with Chisholm and Bobby Mays. And the thing is, is that Bobby Mays and Chisholm, those guys were leaders. Like you knew that like if there was a game down the line, you could give it to Wayne Chisholm, that he was going to one way or the other find a way to make it happen. And I think that's a huge, we have no identity on offense. Uh, I mean, you know, like Santi's been great for us, but I mean, I'll just be honest. He's, I, I just can't see him as being our number one guy on relying when the game's down the line. And it's like what Brandon said, like, you know, at the end of the day, the only player where from an athleticism standpoint, the only guy that could really, you know, fill that void is Kennedy Chandler. And like, will he, I mean, I just, I, I don't see it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he shows me that on Saturday, but it's a huge, huge issue that we have in the middle of conference play, which is not a good problem to have by any means. Definitely. You guys totally killed that. One thing that I want to touch on is just imagine if everyone, every one of our starters played with the same energy and mindset that Ziegler did. I mean, he's literally fearless. Like he it doesn't, he doesn't give a damn if someone's a foot taller than him. Um, it may cause a little bit of turnovers, but I swear like his fire and energy, just when I see him hit the court, I'm happy regardless, because I know he's going to give it a hundred percent. And if we had that same energy, that same mindset with every single person on the floor, every time that would be a totally different game in my opinion. Um, not shitting on anyone by any means, but I, I don't know. Ziegler's my favorite, so I just got to give him a shout out. He's mine too, and I wonder if he plays like that, and it, everybody needs to, but if he plays like that because he knows he's the little guy out there, so he tries to over overcompensate because I, I do love watching him play, and honestly, he's going to end up being a fan favorite, kind of like Fulke, because he's going to be here for next three to five years, honestly. And I, th- I think it was Drew that talked about that. Like, honestly, we look better with him out there at point than Chandler. Chandler's obviously the better athlete, but that, that doesn't always, you know, matter, I guess you could say. But <clears throat> I do I do love that little guy. <laughs> he, he is fun as hell to watch. Oh, yeah. I think Zakai Ziegler might, you know, be – he's going to be a fan favorite for sure, but he honestly is going to develop into a great player at that because – uh, just in the Alabama game that Kendi Chandler missed, Zakai stepped up. He was maybe a little foul hungry and, you know, a little aggressive. And that's something he will have to work on on his defense being so small compared to other people. He has to play aggressive like that. But I mean, over time he was stepping up in that game. And I think if Kennedy Chandler does like, you know, leave after one year, Zakai, he's only going to get better in that sense of a player. And it's just, he has such a bright future. Yeah, so I I mean, honestly, I'm all for Kennedy. Um, I'm going to respectfully disagree that I think uh, Zakai is better just because Kennedy has better shooting splits across the board except for free throws. Um, I think Kennedy's shooting around like less than 70, but Zakai's got him at 78. But even then, uh, Kennedy's still got better field goal and three-point percentage because Zakai's only hitting 30%. And that, again, that's not – like y'all said, that's not the hate on Zakai. I just I believe in Kennedy and I want to see him, I want to see him succeed so bad because of what he did when we went to Colorado. I mean, that man, that man dropped 30 and 
basically willed us to that win. Like he he hit a step back jumper late just to seal it and just to put one on him one more time. Um, I have full faith in Kennedy. Um, like like has been said, I think I really think our game outcome depends on Josiah and Folky. If Josiah plays well, like he did against South Carolina, he had a double double. Granted, it is South Carolina, but he has a double double. We win by twenty. He has three points against LSU. We lose by twelve. Now, I'm not saying that his points sway the whole game, but the way that he affects games by getting timely buckets here and there, getting big rebounds, especially if we go small, he has to be the one that rebounds. I think that our success depends on him and obviously Folky staying involved. He's All he's got to do is average about 12 and 8. Same thing for Josiah. If he averages like anywhere from like 10 to 14 and 6 to 8 boards, I think we're successful in every game. Yeah, and, and I want to say this. <clears throat> Me saying that about Ziegler, I, I believe in Kennedy, but I believe in yeah. the Lord. But sometimes yeah. they both frustrate me. So I'm just going to put that <laughs> out there. I agree. I don't, like, yeah. not believe in Chandler. But I just love seeing Ziegler out there. I just think, I mean, honestly. I mean, they can both be out there together. I don't know. I don't give a damn. Figure out the lineup. Get. I don't know. Figure it out. I'm going nuts. Yeah, it's not it's not me either. Just you know, trying to talk bad on Chandler, but you know, since Colorado, the, I think the his best game was against LSU, and like I said earlier, it was a quiet 19 points. But I think the key is going to be how he plays against a team like Kentucky this upcoming weekend because that's going to be key. It's going to have to be Kennedy that steps up. Uh, obviously, John Fulkerson and uh, Triple J's play is going to matter. Everyone's play is going to matter because, like Alex said, uh, this offense it has to run through everybody. And it's this is how it works. It can't just be one guy, but it does start with Kennedy Chandler. And if he can put the ball in the basket and get down there against better competition than what he's used to. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like for Saturday, they got to set the tone early. I mean, one of the things that Kennedy did a great job at on at the Arizona game and the Colorado game was that we were able to set the tone and set the tempo up within three or four minutes of that game starting. And that's the one thing that we have been missing a lot. I mean, hell, especially in that old Miss game. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, we just – we got to find a way within the first couple minutes of the game to be able to just go out and get buckets and just set just this aggressive tone early on. If we can't, we're not going to grind out opponents, and we're sure as hell not going to grind out Kentucky. I mean. Yeah. I am – I am terrified for <laughs> – Saturday. I hope they prove me wrong. Um, let's see. Anything else like in review before we go to our next topic, which I feel like might be a little bit controversial. Final thoughts? All good? All right. So after the big LSU debacle, Vol Twitter basically exploded. Half of the people went into fire barns. Half like then half the people are like he needs to retire. The other half are like it's not his fault. Um, we've already all kind of touched on it some, but I feel like it needs to be addressed. Rick Barnes, what is the deal? What is everyone's thoughts? Do you think that we should replace him? Why or why not? Um, let's start there. <clears throat> This, this is definitely touchy. So I am a noted uh, Bruce Pearl sheep. 
I think Barnes gets a lot of heat because we look at our ex-girlfriend, what they're doing at Auburn, and they're kicking everybody's ass. And and they're fun to watch, man. Like, I know we're going to lose, but let's let's be fun to look when we lose. I don't want to fire Barnes. Um, I do think that, and I've heard this discussed a lot on the radio, I, I think we peaked under him, honestly. Uh, you know, that Sweet 16 team that we had, I mean, look, we go into uh, overtime against Purdue and our best player is on the bench. I know he's in foul trouble, but stuff like that worries me. And Barnes is not known for a uh, tournament coach. I mean, hell, he had Kevin Durant. He didn't even make it to Sweet 16. I don't want to fire him, but I, I do kind of wonder. He stabilized the program, and it's in a much better position. It makes me wonder, not not saying we turned into Georgia basketball, but you know how Georgia got rid of uh, Mark Richt? And everybody's like, well, he's getting 10 wins a year. But what what would happen if they got somebody to go to the next level? And I kind of wonder that with Tennessee basketball, honestly. I, I don't want to fire him, but, you know, if he retires the next few years, I'm not going to be upset either. Um, and I – Honestly, once we move past this, I want to hear what everybody thinks about who we want after Barnes. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I think obviously Vol Twitter exploded because I was at work. But when I did check my timeline after the game and I just, you know, seeing the group chat and uh, y'all's reactions, you know, it's tough when you lose like that. And you're expecting, you know, year after year that it's going to take that next level under the program. But like DR said, I think pretty much we've peaked under Barnes that we can, but I don't know if that's a bad thing because uh, all my life, I never knew Tennessee of being like a powerhouse basketball program. But as I've grown up, I've seen them every year in a tournament making, you know, maybe only to the sweet 16, but you're getting 20 plus wins a season. You're getting into the sweet 16. And when you talk about replacing a coach like that with a legacy like that and over 700 wins, you know, it's not surefire that you're going to find a coach that's even going to get remotely close to that. And uh, I, you know, I don't know who we'd go after because you look at Texas when they fired their coach and went after the young guy and got rid of Barnes and it's not really worked for them. I'm just scared of getting too tired of where we're at now and then replacing Barnes with a guy that can't do remotely what he can. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Definitely. And uh, one, one thing I want to keep in mind is so the, the Vols rank uh, number two, on uh, adjusted defensive efficiency on Pomeroy. I don't know if y'all are into advanced stats, but I'm a I'm a numbers nerd. But guess who ranks number one in, a, in adjusted defensive efficiency? LSU. So our defensive or our offensive struggles against them make sense, like they do. Uh, LSU is always good defensively, especially at home. They've got a super like rough crowd that wants to get involved. They want to get into the game. They're just itching for a moment where the game blows open and they can get involved. Will Wade always has them playing well at home. So, like, I I guess I understand the loss at LSU more. Um, and back to the comment, Vol Twitter always blows up when Tennessee loses at any point in time. <laughs> if one negative thing happens, it's always the end of the world. But to me, when you're, when you're gauging or, I guess, like, grading – a coaching hire and you want to understand like do we fire him do we not we I always look at why we hired somebody and I think that why we hired Rick Barnes was to right the ship from Donnie Tyndall first off Donnie Tyndall and then Quanzo Martin who we wanted fired midway through the season and then he takes a a, 
hot streak into a six a sweet 16 run and then leaves but i mean i think we hired coach barnes to write the ship make us nationally relevant and just make us stable for the next guy i never thought that rick barnes was the guy to win us a national championship i thought he was the guy who would make us a b plus job over a c plus or a b minus where we have been um so Right now, I think Rick's just kind of cooling it, doing what we well, – at least what I wanted him to do. Um, I think I think we just stand pat a little bit longer, show that we can commit to a coach long-term, let him keep us in the top 20, the top 15, and then when he's ready to retire or if something astronomically bad happens, we get rid of him and then we look for a replacement then. DR, like you said – I want I want Bruce back so bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do. I never I never wanted him to leave in the first place. I think he got fired for bullcrap. Um, especially after we see how the NCAA has defended both Will Wade and Penny Hardaway. Um Bruce got fired for wanting to feed a recruit and they're shelling out thousands of dollars and it's all fine and dandy, whatever. I want Bruce back if Barnes gets fired, but again. He's made his home in Auburn now. So, but final offer, I don't want him gone yet. And we wait until there's a campus prospect. This is like one of the most frustrating things I have about this fan base more than anything else is that like we lose our minds anytime we lose like a, you know, a big game like that. And which, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I was, you know, I was Maynardville mad. I was fair, get furious, pal pissed off about last Saturday. There's no doubt about that. But like, you know, like we knew that, like we knew going in that we weren't going to win this game. Like we don't win against LSU. We don't ever win in Baton Rouge. It's like we knew that, and we also knew. I mean, like at the end of the day, like Tennessee basketball is not the same, you know, tier as Kentucky, as Michigan State, as Duke. Like we're just we'll be we're at our peak right now, which I'm totally fine with. I'm more than happy to have a NCAA tournament team every single year, and I mean at the end of the day. We're eleven and four. We're still a top twenty-five team. Like people just gotta pump the brakes, gotta take a deep breath, and just gotta realize it's gonna be all right. Uh, I don't see any reason why we need to fire Barnes. He keeps on bringing good, talented players. I mean, every year we're putting out NBA players. I mean, when is even during Bruce's days we didn't even do that, you know, with the exception of a couple of years with Tobias Harris and others. But like, we just gotta relax. He's done a phenomenal job given the circumstances and ride it out. And honestly, just for the hell of it, just to see his fan base explode, I would want us to go after Will Wade. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so you guys pretty much said, like, almost everything. First, Drew, you said it. I wasn't that pissed off because I expected us to lose at LSU. I had no reason to believe that we were going to win that game to begin with. Um I log on to Twitter, I see an absolute shit show, so I propose the question. I was like, okay, so everyone wants to fire Barnes, who do you want? Um, the most popular two answers were Bruce Pearl and Kim, Kim English. When I ask people why, they say, well, Rick Barnes can recruit, but he can't develop him. But as Drew just said, look at how many dudes have been to the freaking NBA. We have so many former balls in the NBA and my whole thing is I also agree with Alex I think he develops like he developed a culture here he redeveloped and elevated the culture here um, he 
elevated the expectations. Um, and he is going to retire at some point. And there's, I just don't see any reason why we would fire him now. I mean, the second, if we did, the everyone would expect that, oh, we fired Barnes, whoever we bring in, we're going to make it to the Elite Eight now. They just, everyone's, or not everyone, but most people are just so unrealistic. No, we'd be in the same boat, if not less. We'd have to probably wait two, three years. We might even miss out on the tournament. Like, there's just so many things, and... You see in basketball all the time, I mean, Texas Tech, look at the run that they just went on. Um, I mean, it's not easy, especially at this level. So I don't know. I definitely wouldn't fire him. I think he's hilarious. I say just let him keep doing what he's doing um, to an extent. But for this season, I, I we can't just keep repeating the same things and expect a different result. We're going to have to try something else, even if it's out of the box, and roll with it. Um, <clears throat> Nate Boyd, 921. <clears throat> Excuse me, he had a point. Uh, he said, we just paid him all that money to not go to UCLA. He ain't going anywhere. Do y'all think that uh, some of this is because of that UCLA thing? To me, I don't really care because I, I complain all the time. Like, Butch Jones was as fake as fake can be. At least Barnes was honest with us back then. What do y'all think about that with the fan base? Do y'all think that kind of adds fuel to the fire? Because I've seen it out there. Like people bring up old old tweets and about him wanting to be at UCLA. I mean, I I get it. Every coach we have is Tennessee's not their dream job. People need to get over that. Yeah, I think you're pretty much right. Uh, he was straight up honest with us. He was like, you know, if the money was right, you know, I was leaving, and like just straight up, that should tell fans a lot. Like, uh. You know, he openly said it if, you know, the money was right, you know, he was he was leaving. But also, you know, I think it has to do with you just lost. Uh, I think Lowe mentioned his name, Kim, Kim English. I wonder how big his departure is hurting this team offensively. Because when you look back last year with Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, he was always that offensive minded guy that was drawing up a play when we were in close games to hit that game winning shot or have, you know, extend the game into overtime. And, you know. I think some of that has to do with Barnes being content with where he's at and what he's got here at Tennessee. But also, you just lost an offensive-minded coach. And I don't know if he's, like, you know, the new assistant. I don't know if it's, like, a comfortability thing yet. But it's not last year when you had a guy like Kim English that was an assistant really putting his hands on the team and controlling those guys offensively. Yeah, I think – I mean – I don't know. I think I think that our issues run a lot deeper than just one single thing. And I think you can't really just be like, okay, this is our problem. If we fix it, we're this kind of team. We're an elite eight team. We're a final four team. Because let me let me just throw in another thing that we I don't think we have this year is a rim protector. Um, for the last two years, we had Eve Ponds regularly making SC top ten because he blocked a shot into the sixth row. And then before him, we had somebody who would quietly do it in Kyle Alexander. And also, like Lowe said, Barnes, Barnes develops players so well that when we get a three-star, I'm like, okay, that's fine. He'll be solid. Like, he'll produce for us. And because, uh, I mean, who, who were three stars? Admiral, Grant, Jordan, both Jordans, sorry, both Bowden and Bone. Uh, Lamonte was a three-star. Kyle Alexander was a three-star. Maybe he might have even been a two. But, I mean, when we get those players, I'm like, Barnes will take care of them. Barnes will make them NBA players. 
Um, so that's another reason why I'm kind of like on the Barnes, you should stay fence. Um, but I mean, the, the issues in this team are deep. Um, there are definitely things to fix and I would like Barnes to fix them. <laughs> definitely. Um, will he, I don't know, but I guess like back to the original question, the UCLA thing, um, I'm always I'm always for transparency and I'm always for honesty. I would rather him tell us exactly what's going on so I know the state of things instead of giving us PR answers and then us figuring things out later through a tweet or a dropped headline from like Rocky Top News or whatever it may be. I would rather know exactly how everybody feels in every moment versus finding through third or fourth party. Yeah, no, I mean, I going i totally agree with alex but yeah but going back to uh the ucla thing as well um i mean i didn't you know i didn't have an issue with it i mean people gotta remember like ucla might not be that big of an attractive job now but like when he was growing up like ucla was the college basketball program i mean and for him like that job still holds that same value now others may have not seen that but like i'd rather have him be honest be like yeah i mean like they just didn't offer enough money but as opposed to Conzo just quietly just taking a plane over to Berkeley, California to take another. So, like, we can't have it both ways. I'd rather have the man be honest with us. If he really didn't want to be here, he would have not accepted that extension. And I think the least we could do is just write out his contract. I think he has another two years left in his contract and part of our ways from then on out. Fully agree with everyone. Um, I'm as honest as they come. It actually gets me in trouble. So when I see someone that actually is not sitting out there shooting the shit for once and is honest, I'm like, I love that. Thank you, because that's so rare. Um, didn't bother me at all. I think DR has said it on this podcast before. It's like if you freaking win the lottery. We've talked about it whenever um, What's-His-Name didn't come back to finish coaching the last game. It's like, well, here's your few million dollars or you can come back to work and you're still going to get your million dollars. It's like, screw it. I'm leaving with my millions of dollars. Like it's the same thing. He's just like, well, if they paid me this much, I'm going to go. That's what it is. Um, I love it. Didn't it, I actually like the answer. It didn't bother me a bit. It's like, all right, well, I don't have a dog in the race. He's either going or we're going to pay him enough to stay. Right. Um, but of course, most people just went all wild about it. I don't know. Um, does anyone have any last thoughts on the Barnes thing? It seemed like all of us were pretty much on the same page when it came down to it. Uh, I just have a question on when did he when did he sign that extension? Does anybody know? I think it was after the whole entire UCLA debacle because he got his pay raised up to, I think, $5.5 million a year, mm -hmm. and it was like a three-year extension to his original contract. So I think it ends in 2023, uh, but I'm not obviously too entirely sure about that. Because I was, I was wondering um, – because if, if it was right after the Sweet 16 run where we went 31-6, and six, we were number one for eight weeks. I mean, we beat, we beat Gonzaga – and uh, we beat Kentucky a few times, went to the uh, SEC championship game, got waxed by Auburn. But arguably that Kentucky win in the semis was bigger than that Auburn game in the championship. Whatever, that's a different debate. But, I mean, it makes sense why he got the extension, you know. 
Like, I, I guess in, in my opinion, it makes sense because he had one of the best seasons Tennessee basketball's ever had, was riding a high and got paid for it. So, I mean, I think he deserved the extension then, but. One of our listeners said um, in the feed two years ago is when he signed it. It was two years ago, that was. I mean, but that's the thing, though, is, like, people forget as well. Like, you know, Tom Izzo is considered one of the most – is one of the highest-paid coaches in college basketball, and Michigan State has been – I mean, they've been mediocre the last couple of years. So, like, I I mean, I understood the, the you know, the extension. They – I mean, I he deserved it after that 31-6 season. I mean, that's arguably probably maybe the second-best season in Tennessee basketball history. So, um I mean, it's just it's just how basketball is. Sometimes you're just going to have little, you know, down seasons. I suppose. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, interesting to see because I think was what was it Fulmer before he got the extension that he was ready to let him walk or something like that. So, and you said he has about two years left on the contract. Danny White being new on the job, I think it'll be interesting to see how he takes his approach with the whole Barnes thing after his contract does run out. You know, where Tennessee basketball as a whole is at that point because. If you're on the trajectory and you have a coach out there that's young-minded that can maybe get Tennessee to the next level, and you're Danny White, a guy that banks on your career on young coaches and having them as a proving point, like Nato's at Buffalo, you know, getting guys like Heupel, Scott Frost when they're young, un- unknown names, it'll be interesting to see what he does as athletic director here. You don't have to go into detail, but if Barnes retired tonight, who who would you want? reasonable because unreasonable i want bruce pearl but reasonable i want to hear everybody's answer i don't even know where to start really because i'm not that well informed on college coaches i would have to depend on vol twitter uh to give me the names and the scoops on people because that's what we do best with coaches but i think the name that we're familiar with that low did mention earlier would be kim english and seeing what he's done at george mason I feel like he might know the area well by now if he was to come back. The thing is, is he ready for that kind of job? I don't know. But me just talking about how Danny White likes those young up-and-coming guys, uh, Kim English, the guy that's well-known and loved around Tennessee after his time here offensively, I think it'd be worth a shot. But then again, I'm sure there's a lot more coaches out there that could be better than Kim English. English. Uh, You know, I have no idea, but I would say Kim English. Yeah, I mean, I I also don't know because, one, I'm not looking for Barnes replacements right now. Mm -hmm. And it's also – I guess it's hard to know, like, who's actually interested in leaving their current job until you hear a rumor about something and then you're like, oh, let me follow this little rabbit hole. But um, like Brando said, George Mason with Kim English – I mean, they had that that big win back in November um, over Maryland at the on the road while Maryland was ranked. Um, you know exactly what you're getting with Kim English um, because he's he's a Barnes disciple. He's been around the program. You know his personality, like what he's going to do. That he'll he'll uh, have a a good clean program, good stuff like that. But I'm I'm all for Pearl. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, just to see like ball Twitter explode, Will Wade. I would just love to see the reaction. I feel like it would be even bigger than Shiano Sunday in some aspects, just as far as the reaction goes. Realistically, I would personally would honestly say either Rob Lanier, who was a former assistant under Barnes uh, after Grant Williams' his Schofield year uh, from Georgia State. I just feel like with the connections he has over there in Atlanta, as far as recruiting goes, 
and the job that he's done in that Panthers program, at least in the Sun Belt Conference, which in my opinion is a very underrated conference. He's done a decent job there. And if not him, honestly, uh, Steve Forrest from, uh, from Wake Forest, I think would be a great hire as well. Drew, you took mine. See, everybody's talking about Kim English. Like, to me, I, I, I'd rather have Rob Lanier, but my number one choice is Steve Forbes. He was here with Pearl, and, you know, if you can't have Dr. Pepper, let's get Mr. Pibb. And 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 Steve Forbes, man, and he's older. That's what I was looking at now. He's uh, 56 right now, but I don't really think you can judge him on Wake Forest because of where he's at. Um, but I, that would be my choice, but – I love that Drew said Rob Lanier because I, I really think he's going to be a damn good coach, and I would much rather have him over Kim English right now because, you know, Kim English, they beat Maryland, but then they lost like five or six straight after that. And I like Kim English. He was a great asset to our program. And one of the one of the people that's uh, watching our uh, live feed talked about that, how we went down since he's left. But I, I do think he would be a better choice, uh, Rob Lanier, than Kim English. But – Number one, if you can't hit Pearl, I want I want old Stevie Boy Forbes. Okay, so this isn't really like a shot at any of us because we were all on the same page about like not firing Rick Barnes, but pretty much all the people who said that they wanted to fire Rick Barnes wanted someone who cut, who was trained under Rick Barnes. Um, I don't understand where their philosophy is there. It's like, oh, Kim English, Kim English. I'm like, okay. So you're upset with the way that Barnes coaches, but then you want to bring in a former assistant and what are you going to expect there? And on top of that, they aren't a head, they don't have head coach experience and they damn sure haven't been in the game as long as Barnes. So it, I'm also with Brando. I haven't really looked too hard into that in terms of who would replace him. But I do think that's kind of silly to be like, Oh, I'm sick of Barnes, but let's bring in one of his former assistants unless they were just thinking that they have a different pace or they have like a more upgraded game because Ray Barnes has been around so long. But nonetheless, I don't really know. Um, I haven't looked too far into it, but I'm sure you guys provided plenty of good options. Uh, Lo, do you, do you think that's because of Barnes' age? Because I've never thought about that, but you're right. Like we see uh, his replacement as once somebody that was under him and, thinking he's better maybe that's because they're younger I, I mean I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know but I uh that just kind of popped into my head and I was like well you know what I'm gonna freaking say it because it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah. so that's one thing I will give to Barnes is uh with his coaching trees I mean lately like everyone's been going on to be a head coach you have Kim English but I didn't even mention his name uh, Desmond Oliver at ETSU like there's multiple coaches that come into this tree and I wouldn't be surprised if the guys here now with their, you know, AAU backgrounds, you know, don't go on with their recruiting capabilities. Like we haven't really seen it, but behind the scenes, like they're really plugged in. And that's one thing he's been really good at is adapting to the game of the AAU and getting those kids on campus. I feel like. Hey, while we're speaking basketball, let's just go ahead and shout out the lady balls oh, yeah. uh, sitting atop the SEC. Sitting at 15 and 1, 4 0 in conference play, winners of their last six. Let's just go ahead and brag on them a little bit. Looks like they're returning to dominance. Good to see them back on top of the college basketball scene. So, I agree. Since, uh, 18, 16 season. So, sure. Okay. So, anything else on this coaching thing? Because we have a couple, just a couple of questions from like our listeners. Good. 
Good. All right. So I'm going to give this a shout out at Brian Young underscore five. He asked us what has happened or what has to happen to get our shooting back on track. Is there a mentality issue with this basketball team? There seems to be no confidence. I feel like we talked a lot about that, but if anyone has anything else to add to that question, feel free. Otherwise we can move on. I just want to say like we pretty much covered about how, if the defense might affect it or not. And, you know, honestly, we won't know until if they try to change up how they play defense. But honestly, the defense works the way Barnes coaches. So, but I think all you have to do, and people are going to say it, everyone's been saying it, but you just got to keep on shooting and hope that they're going to fall. Because when the season started, it was about, hey, we're going to change this up and lift up by the three, die by the three to shoot. And one thing with Auburn, they'll have games, how we talk about Auburn and Bruce Pearl, they'll live and die by the three, but they'll have games too where they don't hit those shots and those games are their losses where they do have fun. But when they're effective, they're hitting shots, they're shooting and hitting everything. And I think back to that conference championship game where I don't even think they missed a shot for like five minutes. You know, I'm just hoping that, you know, translates over here with us and shooting and that, you know, Santi and Kennedy and Zakai and the guys can just hit shots. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be, like, way out left field. But, like, I honestly think, like, the one thing that would really help us try to get out of this funk is, like, finally start making our damn free, th free throws. You know, because, I mean, we're we're driving in the basket. We're, you know, drawing fouls. We're getting wide open looks, but we can't convert on the line. And I really believe, like, if we just start making them, like, these play our players just start thinking, have this mentality that, you know, they can get buckets, they can get points in every possession. And I think it will translate later on in more of the whole entire offense as well. Drew, that's an excellent point because that's the highest percentage shot, right? So if we can't make that, then where's your shooting confidence at? Um, I love that point. So next question, since we already mostly covered that one, um, at Bra, B-R-A Vols, I guess it's Bra Vols, I don't know. Uh, he asked us how we think the relationship is truly between Rick Barnes and Kennedy Chandler. Uh, you know, I wrote this down. I just put growing. I mean, it, I know they, he's recruited and all that. I mean, it, they don't, they've never, uh, had to interact as a player coach. It's usually the coach and recruit. I, I, I think it's growing. I, I have no idea. We're not behind the scenes. Um, I hope it's improving, you know, gr growth and improvement can go hand in hand. Uh, because, you know, like, our struggles right now, and Drew's right. Like I think he said, we're like eleven and four right now. I mean, if we come out, start balling out end of the year SEC tournament, regular tournament, we're not going to remember all this crap. Uh, I, I hope it's good, and that's all I got on that, honestly. Yeah, I'd agree with that and say that it's a, a growing relationship. I mean, when Kennedy does get subbed out, you'll see Barnes, you know, stopping him and being like, "Hey, like you got to do this, you got to do that." And I, you know, I think people have to understand that as a freshman there's going to be a lot of that. I know a lot of people will think that Barnes coach is too hard or is too mean and too aggressive with what he says, but I think he's doing the right thing. Uh, it might be something that Kennedy's new to as well, going to this next level of basketball and not really used to that kind of coaching. When at high school, he was just a star and levels on levels better than these kids. But I think Rick's doing it out of goodwill. He's not trying to just trash the kid. He's just, you know, he's trying to get him to play to his potential. And I think over time that, that coaching is going to get to Kennedy and hopefully, you know, he starts balling. 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. Let me. I agree with Dr. Two and saying that I think it's growing because Barnes is known to be tough on his point guards, and he is known to have point guards come in and be like the the point guard always says, "Well, I want to be coached by him because I know he'll be tough on me. I know that he's gonna he's gonna instruct me the correct way on how to play this position, on how to be successful, this, that, and the other." Um, so I think I think it's definitely a developing situation where they learn what they can and can't say how they can and can't say something. Um, I still think it's, it's definitely fluid and definitely growing in that sense. So as long as, as long as Kennedy can take the heat, take the criticism, there's definitely a lot of praise to come from Barnes because when his point guards are, are succeeding, he definitely makes it known and he definitely gives them praise and credit for that. So I think it's growing and developing and definitely something to watch going forward. Yeah, I mean, I agree with just about everyone here. Uh, it's definitely a growing progress. Um, you know, I mean, they're definitely not holding hands and singing Kumbaya, kind of like how, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and Jared Garantano were. But, I mean, there's definitely some things that they can certainly, that's certainly going to improve on. You know, Kennedy Chandler's still learning the college game, especially SEC style and, like, you know, the brutality that has. And I think it's just one of those things that, like, you know, he's just got to learn to trust Barnes because Barnes obviously knows what he's doing, what he's talking about. And I think it's something that will progress. And I really believe that it's going to be a really good relationship by the end of the season and start coming to conference tournament. Yeah, I um, all you guys, great answers. I just remember just reflecting, like, as a player, though, if I felt comfortable with my coach, then I would probably say more, right? So, like, if they're trying to send me out, I'd feel more comfortable being like, no, like, I don't need to come out or whatever. Um I was just kind of thinking back, like, I don't know that it may be better than what we think, but honestly, none of us have any idea. We're not there and we're not them. So that's not a shot at Bravals's question. That's just me. Like we have no freaking idea, but I hope it's good and I hope it gets better. Um, so good question though, because that has been another hot topic is, are they even, do they even like each other? I don't know. We don't know. Um, last question is totally off of basketball, which we've talked about for a long time. So kind of fun. Um, at Thomas 55 G asked us what we think is a reasonable time period for our football team to compete for a playoff spot. This guy says he thinks three to four years to build depth. What does everyone think about the question and what's your answer? So I, I went and looked at our schedule in three to four years. So three years, 2025, we're going to open up the season with Syracuse and Atlanta. <clears throat> you know, I'm not a Miss Cleo, but I think we should whoop their ass in three years. But we're also going to be at Bama, at Florida, and at Kentucky that year. And then we got Auburn, Georgia at home. Uh, 2026. I don't know who our cross or the other uh, uh, division arrival, and we don't even know what it's going to look like then, but we got at Nebraska that year. Honestly, you can't answer this question. The SEC's changing. College football's changing. We're at Oklahoma and Texas, which honestly we should beat both their asses because they're falling apart right now. Um, I guess I'll go with that guy two to, uh, I don't know, two to three years. And honestly, it depends on college football expansion. If in exactly. three years we're still with four teams, then no, we're not going to be close. But now if we're up to 12 teams, then, yeah, we're going to get in. Uh, you got to look at the 
the schedule ahead of time. 2023, we're at BYU. So after this next season, we're at BYU. And then we got freaking Texas A&M at home who's got a better payroll than the Tennessee Titans right now with their recruiting class. Oh, yeah. Uh, 2024, we're um, at Oklahoma. And then we got at Mississippi State. So maybe – Maybe 2024 at earliest uh, two years, but we don't know who our quarterback is. And college football now is just so fluid, man. We don't even know. We could have 50 new players on our roster in two to three years. So, obviously, and this is just all hypothetical. So, I don't know. I'll say at minimum two years. Yeah, it's it's really hard to answer this question just because the day and age, like you said, of adding and losing players. Like today we lost two, but tomorrow we might add two more. And uh, that all comes with the new transfer portal and the one-year, you know, rule of not sitting out and playing. But when looking also how you touched on it, uh, if it expands or not to a 12-win team, there was many times where Hype was able to get UCF in that top 10 range and finish in top 10, get him to a New Year's Six Bowl. I think, honestly, he could do that here. So if that does happen, you know, I think it's surely possible to maybe sneak into one of those 1 through 12 spots. But also thinking about our schedule, like, we don't even know if that schedule is going to stick because, you know, the pod system, if they release a pod system or how the SEC conference games are going to be split up, there's no telling what college football is going to turn into and how it's changing every day. It feels like every week we're getting some new article about how this conference is going to do this, this is going to do that. And with the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas, they're going to have to figure out a way to make teams be able to play each other. And I think it comes down to the luck we get with like division wise of who we play and are going to be our opponents because 2024, you said there's Auburn, Georgia at Georgia, at Florida, at Bama. And, you know, being a team that plays that kind of schedule every year, it's literally we're the only team that has to go through that kind of pain of playing each one of those teams. So I think it all depends on how they realign it. If we can get the pods that people have predicted us in like a, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Vandy, or how they do it four teams. It just all depends how it comes of how they pick and choose the SEC play in the seeding. I think they're definitely going to expand one through 12. I don't know if it's the best move, but I think it's the best move for Tennessee. Maybe not college football, but if Tennessee wants to get back in that spot with their cards that they play against, it's going to have to be in that kind of area. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else I could say that both y'all ain't said yet. But um, I always kind of just take the four or five year range just so a coach has enough time to get a full cycle of players in. So he's got freshman to senior. And then hopefully in that fourth or fifth year, you can find a couple of star freshmen or a couple of star transfers that you can bring in, plug and play real quick, get them going, and then they elevate you to that next level. So you you have the framework for a good team for a nine and three, 10 and two team three or four years in, and then that fourth or fifth season is where you get those star players that come in, take you to that next level and get you to the promised land. Now, will that happen? Like y'all have said, I don't know. There's so many moving parts. We need to figure out our NIL stuff so we can get players first off and then keep players. Um, That's definitely a big portion of the game now. And honestly, I don't know how Tennessee doesn't sell itself with the community following, the social media following, and just the sense of community around the whole state. Like, I, I mean, the whole state loves Tennessee from what I understand, except for Memphis, maybe. <laughs> um, so like, aside from that, I don't know how we aren't like continually successful, but again, 
four or five year range. That's kind of my determining factor. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I probably I'm even more pessimistic than everybody here. I think we're probably at least six or seven years away, realistically, on even having a sniff in the college football playoff. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you have a lot of these teams like, you know, a lot of people want to talk about how Kirby Smart was able to take Georgia within his second season to the college football playoff and national title. But the difference is, though, is that Georgia always consistently recruited top 10, top five classes. I mean, they even had number one classes under Mark Rick. And the difference with us, like, you know, we've, I mean, we've struggled in the recruiting aspect a lot within the last 10 years, especially. And I think it's just one of those things where we just have to continue to go on the recruiting and like, just, I mean, the only way we can really start beating out teams like Alabama and Georgia is where we beat teams like Florida and Kentucky on the field and consistently get nine or 10 wins. And then after that, after a period of time, and you get those recruits and get those top five classes, we can. But it's like what Brandon says. I mean, we're playing Florida and Georgia, Georgia and Alabama every year. I hope this new pod system, whatever it is, I have no clue what it is, if I'm going to be honest with you. But I hope it doesn't include us playing Alabama because I'm getting sick and tired of watching us get our teeth kicked in by 35 every single season. So. Uh, Drew, would you if they came out right now and said uh, we've moved the playoff to twelve teams, would it still be six seasons? You think? Yeah, I mean, maybe five if that's the case. But like, we just you got to have. I mean, at least two, three, just lines of depth in every mm-hmm. position to be able to go out and consistently rotate and play against those teams. And that's the huge issue. You know, not obviously this year, especially, but like especially in 2016 with, you know, Kamara and Hurd and Dobbs, is that we had zero depth in that offensive line and zero depth in the defense line outside of a couple players, and it killed us in that middle middle of the season where we played A&M and Bama and South Carolina. And that's where, like, that's where, like, Heupel and all of them have to find a way to win out those recruiting battles and just get good, decent depth in there and be able to compete in that type of level. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we led in every game this year, but um, it all came down to depth. We have none right now, exactly. so I, I agree with you. So, I don't know. I took this question in kind of like a couple different parts. First of all, if I don't think we should focus on national championship. I know that was his question, but say we win SEC championship and it's expanded to eight, we're definitely in the playoff. And then – it depends on who we get there, um, but we may have already faced him and we may have already beat him. Um, if we like get to the SEC championship and, or win the SEC championship, I would see it in the same season just because of the level of competition. Um, but with everyone's thoughts and takes and transfer portal and this, that, and the other, it's just impossible really to, to guess. Um, if we could lock guys in, like Alex was saying, and we knew that they would be here for however long with NIL deals, that would be a little bit different. But I'll just go with three to four year range. But the truth is there's there's no idea. But I just really personally just want to see us. I, that's like really far-fetched in my mind. I want to see us get to the SEC championship, like within the next two years. That would be really awesome I don't it all depends on just transfers and I mean Saban honestly and Kirby is this a one-year wonder or not who knows um 
is Florida going to stay trash after losing all these people or not stay trash? Cause we lost to them, but you know what I mean? Are they going to hit the tank for a while? I don't know, but it depends on a lot of factors and, but it's fun to think about. It's a great question. I love the question, but no idea. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Lo. Next three years, let's just keep up in 20 with Florida, Georgia, and Alabama for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, how Lowe pretty much said it, if you do get it expanded to eight to 12 teams and you do get in that SEC championship, like who's to say that when it does expand that a nine and three team that, you know, maybe snuck their way in, you know, gets into this 12 team playoff, you know, it's very well possible. And it all comes down to, you know, getting guys locked down, local companies buying in NIL wise and keeping guys to stay with playing time. Because as you saw, like, I mean, a couple Bama and Georgia players, they just played a national championship and they entered, you know, it all comes down to what these kids are feeling and how they're happy for best, you know, the best athletes in the world. But, you know, I think if it does expand, it's very well possible that Tennessee can get in that range just because he's done it before at UCF. I just, if you can only lose to Bama and Georgia and, you know, heck, you might not even have to be in the SEC championship to play in the, the 12 team. You know, it just all depends. It all depends. Absolutely. Um, great questions. Does anyone have any final thoughts for this evening? We went for almost an hour and a half, but I've loved it. Yeah, I've had a great time. So um, right before we went on, Calvert entered the uh, transfer portal. Yeah. I don't know if y'all saw that or not. And also, I, I meant to hit on this. This is going to go off, but um, I meant to say this earlier. Steve Forbes had a quote that I thought was interesting. He said, you need to recruit offense and coach defense. And I think that may be a little bit of Barnes' problem this year, honestly. I'm not going to elaborate. I should have I should have said that earlier, but I thought that was a really good quote. Yeah, I won't try to hold everyone too long because I know we're trying to wrap it up, but I'm just going to – we lost Calbert and Anderson Kobe, but like I said earlier, you'll lose some and you'll add some. I know there's some guys at those same positions that they talked to and like landing a guy like Nayor from Wyoming that they did last week. I'm sure that, but I know they're talking to the uh, Vanderbilt offensive tackle as well. So I don't know if Calbert, I know he was thinking about medically retiring and now seeing his name in the portal. So that wouldn't surprise me, but I just think that uh, the staff is starting to make some moves, talking to guys to bring him in. So I don't know how it correlates, but I just know that the guys we lose will add back. Everyone good? Alex, Drew, you guys got anything else? All right. Um, well, I've had an awesome time. Again, Drew and Alex, I've loved having you guys on. You guys are mm -hmm. so knowledgeable, and honestly, it's been great. Um, again, we had DR and Brando on. Um, Bandit was out tonight. But – Wrapping this all up, like we all said, we're just analyzing stuff. No folky hate, no Barnes hate. So don't jump our shit later. <laughs> um, we're just answering questions and analyzing. So I guess we're just wrapping it up. And we will probably see you guys next week. We will let everyone know. But until then, go balls. Go balls, baby.